Yeah. Okay, so we're live. So you got it. You walk aside though to like determination. Okay. We're live, so just a few. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna. We want to hear about the. Oh, the Godiva. Going for the Godiva. Godiva. Maybe. Godiva. Godiva. I think I'd rather have the Godiva. I mean, definitely. I don't even know if it was a male or a female. <laughs> I don't know. I Maybe. Okay. Good afternoon. Sorry for the delay. And here we go. So, what are we on about today? Well, today is a, the last Torah reading in the book of Genesis. And in the last Torah reading of the book of Genesis, telling us about uh, Jacob's passing, and the interesting thing, just a little side tidbit here, we find that when it talks about Jacob's passing, this whole Torah reading is about Jacob's passing, or the tribe's passing, Joseph's passing, but what's the name of the Torah reading? Vayechi, and they lived. And we find that these were the best years, so to speak, of Jacob's life. And one of the reasons is because he was celebrating, and it was the time that he finally had his whole family around together. 17 years, he had his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all together, all getting along, all sitting and celebrating together, even though it was in the in most immoral place of the world, they were able to create this oasis in the land of Goshen that they were, and have this wonderful, beautiful place. So this kid wakes up one morning and tells his mom that he had a fabulous dream. He had a dream that his father bought him a bicycle, and his mother took him to Florida. <laughs> So his mother, so the kid looks at, so the mother looks at the son and says, listen here, you know that dreams, things don't happen the way it is in the dream. Sometimes what you see in a dream is actually the opposite of what's going to happen. She says, that's fine, that can take me to Florida and you can buy me a bicycle. <laughs> and you see, as long as it works out. So one of the things, if you think about it, many people, if you ever wonder, you ask yourself, if I would be able to ask God one question, what would it be? What would that one question be? What would that one thing that's curious out of everything, the most of all curious, that the only person that can probably, the only entity, I should say, that can answer that question is God. What would that question be? By many, and not only by many, but a part of Jewish tradition, one of the things that we say probably most in every single prayer throughout the day, regardless of what prayer it is, whether it's the grace after meals or whether it's the uh, prayer for um, morning or evening afternoon prayer, is we ask God for the coming of Moshiach, for returning to the land of Israel, the building of the Beis Amigdash, and that time when that world would come to its ultimate peace, tranquility, no more war, no more, uh, no more famine, no more illness, a time of absolute holiness and spirituality. And if we can only ask that question, to God and say, when is it going to come already? Tell me a date. <laughs> now, what's the benefit of knowing a date? What's the no, benefit no. of knowing when it's going to happen? You can prepare. Oh, so there's two oh, reasons. You can prepare. Mm -hmm. So there's two reasons of why, in anything, why would you want to know what's going to happen in the future? Many people, even children, they want to know, what are we doing today? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in 50 years? What's the advantage of preparing and planning? Number one advantage is that a person who has a future to look forward to, the now doesn't bother him. Tell a person, you're going to be in this confine. You know, you tell a kid, you got to go to school for 13 years, 14 years, whatever it may be. But after 14 years, you're out of school. 
So they're able to endure the school. You go to college, you have to be in this cramped uh, dormitory, at least it used to be. <laughs> and, and, and you know, two, four years, you're out, you do with a degree, and you move on with life. Or even if you're in a job. You know that you're in this position in this position in the job. You gotta work your way up the ladder. So you gotta be a stock boy for two months, then you go to manager, and finally you climb your position. But the very fact that you know that there's a future helps you get through the present. So it allows you to endure. In, gives you endurance. Not only endurance, but it also gives you momentum to look forward to something. You know, if you would know when Corona was over, you'd be able to you'll do, take any policy, take. any restriction, what you do, right? But because today they say this, tomorrow they say that, and tomorrow they say the next day. I mean, it's not next day, it's December 15th, and it's January 15th, and it's, you know, what they say in the beginning when it first started, two weeks we're going to put you on pause, then it became a month, then it became six months, then it became eight months. All of a sudden, people become fatigued from it. Why? Because if you give person a date, and the date means nothing, then of course people don't have any uh, impetus to be able to follow anything. But if you tell you, listen here, you follow this for three weeks and you'll be okay. After three weeks, or you have a diet, a regimen, or something, whatever it is, as long as you see an end point to it, you can able to survive. They say there's a story in the Holocaust. There was a very famous doctor, psychologist, his name, psychotherapist, his name was Dr. Viktor Frankl. And he said when he was in the Holocaust, there was this very well-known um, uh, musician and composer who came over to him one day in the camp and told him, I had a dream and I know exactly when we're, being, when we're going to be released from this concentration camp. And it's in exactly 30 days, at midnight, we're going to be freed. And he was able to live and he made a song for it and everything else. And during that time of those 30 days that he was, that he was living, those 30 days of while he was in the, uh, in the camp, he lived on the greatest and highest level. It didn't bother him what was going on. But what happened was, 30 days came. And unfortunately, the 30 days came and the 30 days went. And they were still in the camp. He got so sick from it that he died. Because he looked forward and he knew that this was the time that he was going to be, so to speak, exodus. And it didn't happen. And that's what happened to him. So you see that on one hand, yes, it's a good thing to look forward and to know when the time's going to come, but if God forbid the time doesn't come or if something gets ruined, it can also have a detrimental effect on the person. A second practical reason of why it's good to know what's going to happen in the future is you can prepare. That practically speaking, if I know what's going to happen in 10 years from now, I prepare myself emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it may be, anything that I need to prepare myself for. They say a story and I'm sure you know this one, this is very well known, that in October of 1929, <clears throat> there was a fellow by the name of Irving Fisher. He was one of the most very well-famous economists of the time. He was trying to predict at that time he was the head of the Federal Reserve. And in, 19, in October of 20, 1929, he was very optimistic that the stock market's going to be great and everything's going to work and it's all going to be, be great. At the time as well, uh, opposing Fisher, there was a fellow by the name of Roger Bobson. Well, this Roger Bobson was not a well-known academic, academic uh, economist. He did not have any position in the Federal Reserve. He was a regular day trader. And he said that the worst is coming. The market's going too high too quick. It's going to crash and it's going to be terrible. To the extent that people were so upset about what this Roger Bobson said, that Herbert Hoover, I think, right, who was the, who was the uh, president at the time, Herbert Hoover said, I came out, yes, Herbert Hoover, 1929, by the Great Recession, 
Herbert Hoover came out and said what he said is false, and he himself invested in the market, and Fisher invested in the market, and everybody was trying to show that the market is strong and it's going to be the best. But unfortunately, we know what happened. History tells us that two weeks later, what happened in October of 1929, the market came crashing, it was the Great Recession of 1929, and it took 15 years for America, with a World War II, to be able to get out of that Great Recession. So, what was the, and the interesting thing is, that this guy, Fisher from the Federal Reserve, invest, <coughs> excuse me, invested all this money in the market, said we got to plan ahead for the future, this is the best time, lost everything, lost everything, and this guy, Roger Bobson, walked out a millionaire from the whole thing. So, in planning for the future, you can plan as much as you want, but as he used to say in Yiddish, in English they translate, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. But, uh, but the bottom line is that we see it, the very fact that a person knows what's going to happen in the future. You know, you go into a surgery, the surgeon tells you you're going to walk for three weeks, you're not going to walk for three weeks, he tells you at least what's going to happen, then you feel a little more assured. The problem is when the doctor tells you it's only going to feel like a pinch and it sounds like a whammer that puts you out for three weeks. It's only a pinch. You know, I guess everybody's pinch is relative, right? You know, <laughs> when the dentist gives you that, that anesthesia and it's painful and the drilling, it's only a pinch. What are you getting so excited about, right? When they tell me. The bottom line is that when we prepare for things, we're better able to address it, not only be ready for it when the time comes, but even before the time comes, we're able to help ourselves and be able to uh, be ready for it. Hasidim used to say an interesting story about being prepared and being ready. That there was once these two brothers that, uh, because of time, whatever it was, they separated ways on each one went their own ways. Years passed and one of the brothers are making a wedding. He invites his other brother to come to the wedding. But the other brother doesn't feel comfortable. I didn't have any connection with him. I never went to the wedding. Now all of a sudden we're going to go to his wedding. And he didn't want to show up to his wedding. So the other brother said, decide, the night of the wedding comes, he says, should I go, shouldn't I go? He says, you know what, I'm going to put on my pajamas, get into bed like this, I can forget about the wedding, and everything will work out. All of a sudden, he's lying in bed, and all of a sudden, underneath his window, he starts hearing a song that they used to play in his parents' home by the Shabbos table, this being the song that Klezmer's playing the music. Couldn't hold himself in. Yes, gets out of bed with his pajamas, goes downstairs, and he sees a whole orchestra, and his brother brought the whole band to his, to his brother's home to wake him up, to bring him to the wedding and welcome him. His brother was so excited to see him. He comes, and he starts embracing him and the hugging and everything else. And his other brother looks at him and says, I'm so happy that you finally came to my wedding, but why do you have to come in pajamas? <laughs> the same idea is also that when you're not ready for things, you end up coming in pajamas. You don't come ready. So... When we come to this question, the question is, and our, as we said, what is the greatest question of humanity is, when is Mashiach going to come? And this question is not only our question, but it's an interesting letter that the Baal Shem Tov wrote to his brother-in-law, Rabbi Yisrael of Kitav, where he talks about an episode. The Baal Shem Tov is a very spiritual person. And the Baal Shem Tov was able to put himself in the level of ecstasy, to reach where his soul leaves his body, so to speak, for a few moments, and reach great heights of great spirituality. And he tells his brother-in-law about one such experience. That at one time, he went and he had this level of ecstasy, so to speak, if you want to call it. And he was in a level of spirituality where his soul was able to go on high. And he came into the higher chambers of paradise. 
in heaven. And he asks, when is Mashiach going to come? And he told him, when your teachings will be taught on the street, when everybody would learn your teachings. What does this mean? When is Mashiach going to come? Who are we to ask? What is the exact date? How are we able to know what the exact date is? When the exact date? Is there an exact date? And why are we talking about it today? And the reason is because in this week's Torah reading, Jacob calls his children around his bed. He's about to die. And he wants to give them his last will and testament. And he calls his children around and he says, Children, gather around. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something that's going to happen in the end of days. What does it mean, the end of days? And over here, there are many different interpretations, of course. Some explain that he was able to see definitively of what their children, what kind of character they were. And they want to explain to them how they can utilize their character to each one to his great individual potential. That's why if you notice, some of them he negates, and some of them he, some of them he reprimands, and some of them he elevates. Others want to explain that over here he was trying to show, as we spoke about last week, to make Judah, the third son, the fourth son, I'm sorry, to be the one that's going to be the leader for eternity, that he will be the leader amongst the Jewish people, and therefore he chastised the first three sons, and only continued from Judah to bless the rest of the sons. But Rashi, the foremost commentary on the Torah, who gives us the simple interpretation, explains as follows. And says that Jacob gathered around his children because he wanted to tell them the end of days of when the coming of Moshiach was. But God said, it not yet has come the time for you to reveal the secret to your children, and therefore his divine presence has left him. After his children came around him again, his divine presence came back to him and he gave them a blessing, each one individual according to their needs. But what was it? Why would Yaakov want to even tell his children when Mashiach would come? What would be the purpose in it? What would be the rationale behind it? Now each, each interpretation of why and how they understand what it may be, it says there were actually two people who knew a Mashiach would come, and both of these people tried to reveal it, and God did not allow him to do it. Jacob went by his children, and Daniel also talks about it in the book of the prophets, where he sees a prophecy, and all of a sudden he's not able to do it. And the question over here is, if he knew about it, what was the purpose of knowing about it and not telling it to them? And if he wanted to tell it to them, why would God stop him from telling them? What would be the problem with knowing about it? And the way they learned it from the verse that Jacob wanted to actually tell it to his children is because when he gathers his children around, he gathers them once, and then he used the terminology to gather them again. That means he was telling them one thing, changed his mind, and then tells them something else. And in general, if I'm telling you to gather around, why do I tell you to gather around? Because I want you to hear something I don't want anybody else to see. So therefore, I say, gather around. They were standing there. What are you saying, gather around? I'll gather around because now I want to share with you something. But God did not allow to tell them. The interesting thing is, what would be the point of Jacob telling it to them? We're now 4,000 years after this episode. Imagine Jacob would have told them, you know, Mashiach is not going to come for another 4,000 years. What do you think they would have felt? Okay, let's go back to sleep. Call me when I'm ready. What, what does it have to do with me? So what was really the reason and what would be the purpose that Jacob should want to tell his children? In fact, the Talmud says something very interesting. There are seven things that a person will never know. Number one, the day you die. 
And the reason for that is because God wants you always to be in a state of repentance, and therefore you never know exactly the day of that. Number two, the day that there will be no more war, no more pain, no more suffering, the day of consolation. Number three, you'll never know the reasons of why this guy gets what he gets, and this one person gets what they get. Why this guy is righteous, why this guy is wicked. Why did God make that this guy's an evil imbecile, and this guy's the most great nightest guy? Why? We'll never know that. Another thing is, another interesting one that you'll never know, you'll never know what somebody really thinks about you. Why? Because if we would, then each person's going to try to disturb what he really thinks about you. That means if you really think I'm a bad guy, I'll do everything my whole life to make sure that you think I'm a good guy. If you really think I'm a good guy, say, I don't want you to think that yeah, I'm just a regular guy. I want you to know that I also have problems. You know? Each time you're going to try to shape yourself based on what the other guy knows. And you even see it today, unfortunately, even when people know a little bit about you. Look at today, social media. Everybody's trying to create an image that people should think who they're not. It's part of that ego. Part of that is ego. That's sure. what, because ego is rewarded about what the other person says. Another interesting thing is, no person knows where they'll make their dollar. That means we have all of jobs, but we don't know if I'm gonna try another job. Ah, you know, people say, they used to say it was a, they say, the jokes in Yiddish, so it sounds a little better, but you say a Malamed, who's a teacher, says if I was Rothschild, I'd make more money than Rothschild. <laughs> she says, why? Because I'll have Rothschild's money, plus I'll do teaching on the side. <laughs> So I have more money than most. No person knows what their, where their dollar is going to come from. You have people who tried jobs, left jobs, until they finally made the billionaires, they became billionaires, it was not from the, what they went to college for, was not what they studied in high school, it was a by chance thing that they came from. No person knows where they're going to get their money from. We all have to try everything. And number six, nobody knows when Mashiach is going to come. And number seven, nobody knows when finally this world will be rid of hatred, evil, and when all the destruction is going to lose. So why are these things all kept secret? So some of them we know. But what is it about it? Now someone has suggested, you know, throughout the ages, there were great scholars who did say, oh, this is something called, the word is in Hebrew, a ketz, an end of days. You know, and they would say, for example, my mom said 1216, or in his letter to the Yemenite Jews, he used the year 1216 was going to be a time of redemption. Or we find an earlier in the Talmud, they would say, they said, this time is going to be, that time is going to be, and even later, even as lately in the 1700s, there were great rabbis who said, in the time of the Industrial Revolution, for example, oh, this is the time of the coming of Mashiach. This is something that they never saw before in their life. You know, the Industrial Revolution, electricity, all these things, that this is what Mashiach is. But then they realized there wasn't, you know, and all those things. So maybe Jacob was alluding to such a type of error. But it can't be, because Jacob is calling his children around. He says, I'm going to tell you something, which is going to happen at the end of days, using the same terminology that Isaiah uses, what's going to happen at the end of days. And he was definitely referring to the time of the covenant of Mashiach. So the question is, what would he to gain by telling his children something that's still going to happen thousands of years ago? Oh, wait. And if it was so important for him to say it, why did then God stop him from saying it? Yes. Was Mashiach an actual person? Or is Mashiach that? going to be an actual person? Yes. It's an era it's and right. a person. So it's an okay. era that the world is going to be transformed into right. an absolute era, time of peace, harmony, no war, and then ultimately that era will evolve. Into, no, it's an era, it's a time. 
And then that time is going to be as well that the holy temple will be built and will be back with all the, and there'll be an era of spirituality. There will be an individual by the name of Mashiach who will herald in that era and bring us all to the land of Israel, build the holy temple as it's described. And that's not God? No. That's the difference between Jewish people and non-Jews is that we believe Mashiach is a human being while they call Mashiach God. Oh, I never heard of oh. Say that again. The difference between Christianity oh. and Judaism is that in Christianity they call God their Messiah. In Judaism, we believe that Mashiach is a human being, a flesh and blood, who comes from the house of David, and he will be a king like King David, who will bring the Jewish people together and build the Holy Temple and then herald in that era and that time of peace and harmony. It's going to be, of course, with God's backing, you know what right. I'm saying, without the miraculous events. And as so, we're going to see in a moment. So yeah. since the beginning of time, of days, we've never really had that kind of 100%, world. hundred percent, because that when Mashiach comes, as we're soon going to see, means the world comes to its ultimate perfection. But why, and I, I don't even know how to ask the question, why did we never, I mean, with the beginning of time when God created um, everything. Very simple. Because God created the world, an imperfect world. That means Mashiach technically was here before the sin of the tree of knowledge. That and means before Adam and Eve, and because Adam and Eve messed up and ate from the tree of knowledge, they then created impurity in the world. The moment that impurity came into the world, we ever since then had to fix it. The coming of Mashiach is bringing the world back to the state before the sin of the tree of knowledge, technically speaking. And before the sin of the tree of knowledge, there was no concept of evil. There was no concept of uh, discord or anything of that nature. Plus, excuse me, we're going to have the building of the Beis English and the sacrifices as it was in the time, the temple time. And that's the third and holy temple. Oh, so okay, we'll have sacrifices. Yes, we'll have the third temple. That will be the third temple. That's the difference between the first and second temple versus the third temple. The first and second temple were only temporarily, temporary, while the third temple will be eternal. And the reason why the first and second temple were only temporary is because they were built by man, while the third temple will be built by God. And therefore, we that will be eternal. So what part of the third temple will be built by God? That's already debatable. And most of these questions, we don't know the answer to them. And Mashiach will come and figure out the rest. But what we do know is that the belief in the coming of Mashiach and the belief of the world coming to this utopia is a cardinal principle, belief in the Jewish, the Jewish philosophy. It is one of the cardinal principles of faith that Maimonides says that is integral for a Jew to believe in. As we see, the entire universe, the entire Judaism is based on it. There's not one prayer in Judaism that you say that doesn't mention about the time of the coming of Mashiach. Whether it's the grace after meals, or whether it's the prayer that you say on davening on Shabbos, or davening during the weekday, whatever you mention always has an ending in a prayer asking for the coming of Mashiach. So what was Jacob doing over here? And over here, Jacob, if we want to look at it, as I think we both, somebody mentioned it last week, was Jacob approached us with a stick and a carrot, right? What's the expression, a stick and a carrot? On one hand, very strong, but on the other hand, giving them something. That means, Mashiach is destined to come when he has to come. And probably from the time that he was talking to his children, maybe 4,000 years later. However, we hope and anticipate Mashiach coming every single day. Now, how does that make sense? If Mashiach has a specific time when he has to come, why do I hope that he's coming today? Why 2,000 years ago were they praying for the coming of Mashiach and he's only going to come 4,000 years late? And this is what he's telling them. Because God didn't set a specific time and date for when Mashiach has to come. 
there is a, you know, like, uh, I think, I, you know, if, if, if it all doesn't work out, then there's a time that Mashiach has to come. But we have the ability to bring it before its time. The Talmud puts it this way. The Talmud says in the tract of Sanhedrin, Rabbi Yeshua Balevi brings a verse of Isaiah, and he says, I am God in my time and before my time, which we're not in your time or before your time. And Rabbi Yeshua Balevi explains as follows. He says that Moshiach has a specific time when he has to come, regardless of what happens in this world, as terrible as we may be. But we as individuals can bring it before it's time. With this, the Talmud explains many different debates. They're like, for example, the Talmud asks, it says in one opinion, it says Mashiach is going to come riding on a donkey. On another place in the Torah, it says Mashiach, we're going to go flying in the clouds in the sky. Which one is it? And the Talmud explains, if Mashiach is going to come before his time, we'll be flying in the sky. If Mashiach is forced to come because there's no other option, then he'll be coming on a donkey. And the same idea is in many of these cases where Mashiach spoke about that there's two ways how Mashiach can come. Mashiach can come in a time either that we bring about Mashiach's coming by doing good deeds and by changing ourselves and the world around us, or we sit back and just wait until it happens, but then who knows when it's going to happen. Rabbi Yeshua Balevi says this because he himself had an interesting episode. Rabbi Yeshua Balevi was a very interesting fellow, and he was able to be taken, so to speak, behind the scenes. How is he taken behind the scenes? The Talmud tells us a very interesting story. Rabbi Yeshua Balevi, who lives, he was one of the Talmudic scholars, had an opportunity that he was able to go on trips together on excursions with Elijah the prophet. When Elijah the prophet was sent on certain errands and missions, he took Rabbi Yeshua Balevi with him. And this was a special gift that he got. And the Talmud talks about many different occasions that they went. For Just to give you one example, they came to a city where the people treated them royally, and he blessed them when he left, may you only have one leader. He came to a city where the people blessed, where the people treated them totally disrespectfully, and he blessed them and he said, may you have many leaders. So Mishubal like he said, I don't understand. The place that you said, that didn't treat us nicely, you said many leaders. And the place that treated us nicely, he said one leader. He says, what's the greatest blessing a place can have is that there was one leader. Imagine if everybody's a leader, look what the place can end up like. So that's what, and this is one of the insights, the same thing goes to one place, that he's a person treated him and very nicely, and he went in the middle of the night to Elijah the prophet and slaughtered the only cow they had. So Elijah the prophet, Shubham, he asked him, what do you do this for? He says, because this person's wife was going to die. So what I did was, I killed the cow, like this his wife doesn't have to die. And all such type of behind-the-scenes behaviors that he saw with, Rabbi Shur, with Elijah the prophet. So one of the things he asked Elijah the prophet is, I want to meet Mashiach. Who is Mashiach? Now in every generation is a Mashiach. So he wanted to meet the Mashiach in that generation. So he told them as follows. You'll go to the edge of town. And you'll see amongst all the paupers, there'll be people sitting there. And you'll see one of the paupers is dealing with his wounds, with his bandages. But you'll notice that all the people with bandages have one big ace bandage and they're wrapping around their leg. Mashiach is going to take one bandage off put one bandage on, one bandage off, one bandage on. He's not going to have that long bandage. And the reason is, because just in case it's time for him to go, he can't wait to wrap the rest of the bandage around, he has to be ready to go. <laughs> this is what Elijah the prophet tells him. He sure believe he goes to the outside of town. And he meets, and he's looking for the pauper that he was supposed to be able to decide, the one that had the single bandage is not the long bandage. And he comes over to him and he asks him the question that Jews are asking for the last millennia. 
When will you come? He tells him today. Oh, you should believe he's thrilled. He's excited. <laughs> Sheikh is coming today. He goes home, he's ready to party, but he sees the sun's coming down. Mashiach doesn't come. So he goes back to the Mashiach and he says, You told me you're coming today. He says, You didn't listen to the last three words I just said. I quoted a verse today if you will follow what I say. That means, should you follow what God says, I'll come today. That means Mashiach is ready to come today. It's only up to us how we can follow what God says. The reason why Mashiach is not here yet is because we didn't make the world ready for him yet. So, what is Yaakov telling his children? What is Yaakov telling his children? Yaakov is telling his children, yes. What did he want to say to his children? I tell his children, Mashiach may be coming only in 4,000 years, whatever it may be. But you can make it happen earlier. You can bring that about sooner. How did Yaakov know he can do that? How did Yaakov know that that's possible? Because remember, Yaakov came to the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt we spoke about last week, there was a hunger. How long was the hunger supposed to be? For seven years, because that's what Pharaoh had in his dream, that's what Joseph interpreted. But the hunger stopped after two years when Jacob gave a blessing to Pharaoh that the water of the Nile River should come up to him. The water came up, and because of that it watered all the fields and everything else, and the hunger stopped after two years. So Jacob saw clearly that it is possible that even though God makes a decree that something should happen, we can avert the decree. Even more so, Jacob was able to see that over here there's a situation where the Jewish people were supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years, God told Abraham, and it was reduced to 210 years. From the 210 years, it was already reduced to 190. So Jacob says, this works. We can change the reality. We don't have to wait for 4,000 years. And if I get my kids and I get them on board and I say, let's go, guys. Let's make this happen. We can make Mashiach come sooner. The Chafetz Chaim was a well-known scholar just in the, lived about 150, 125, 150 years ago. He lived with this concept of the belief in the coming of Mashiach. He actually wrote a book called Tzipis of Yeshua Avya, Awaited the Coming of Mashiach. It says that the Chafetz Chaim would always wear, would always have with him a special garment in a suitcase that he was ready for when Mashiach will come, he will change. He had that absolute faith. Because he knew that if we do what we can, and if we improve, and if we are able to overcome the obstacles, we can bring Mashiach sooner. There's a story. I think this is an amazing story. When I read it, I thought it was fascinating. So I'm sure you would find it fascinating as well. About 30 years ago, when the, um, 1990, yeah, 32 years ago. So when the Iron Curtain opened, hundreds and thousands of millions of Russians came into Israel, and many of them left Russia and moved to Israel. Finally, they were able to leave their communist country and make it to the Promised Land. And because of that, they all lived many different places, but most of them had no experience whatsoever of Judaism. And when they came to Israel, Chabad, made sure to go to all the different places, especially in these great, um, what do you call them, like refugee camps, where they would all come to, absorb absorption centers, and teach them, and offer them classes, and help them acclimate to the land of Israel. And there's this, um, there was this young boy, a bachar who was in the yeshiva, you know, a young, that the yeshiva sent them out to his Purim, to go to these absorption centers and bring them the joy of Purim to these places. He comes to one of these places, 
and they're dancing, and, you know, you're doing the regular Purim shtick, you know, dancing, singing, and all that stuff. And a young fellow comes over to him, an older fellow, Jew, comes over to him and says, you guys are from Chabad, Lubavitch. So he says, yeah, and he sees this older man has tears in his eyes. And he tells him, you know, you would never understand what we lived through just even 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we never imagined we would ever leave the Iron Curtain. The thought of me being here was not even something I dreamt of. Because it's not even a dream. A dream has to be something that's a reality, you know, a place that there's even a possibility. There was no possibility. We really didn't even think this was going to happen. Not only that, the very thought that if I didn't have a dream of coming to the land of Israel, these are like a chapter of Siberia, you know, it wasn't even that type of thing. But he says, at the time, there was a group of Hasidim that were in Russia, where I lived. I wasn't a Hasid, but I happened to be amongst them. And one time I got stuck. He once said, because got stuck. And I ended up in a fabrengen in a cellar with a group of Hasidim. In the cellar, fabrengen means a Hasidic gathering, sitting around together, dark cellar that the communists shouldn't find them. We're talking about in the late 70s, early 80s. Drinking vodka, saying l'chaim, and hoping for great days. And this is years these people haven't been out of, they haven't seen the previous Rebbe left Russia in 1929. So that means any person in the late 1970s, like in the 80s, didn't see the previous Rebbe, never saw the Rebbe, but they were yearning with such desire to be able to be by the Rebbe. They received undercover in Russia, they were able to receive the Rebbe's talks and things like Bad Lamashka, they would send it back. There was a whole secret code. They never called the Rebbe Rebbe, they called him Zayda, which means grandpa, like just nobody should know. They never, there was a name Gerari instead of Schneerson because any person that was associated with the name Schneerson was automatically sent to Siberia. So, but he says, these fellows, they never saw the Rebbe, they never, and they, but they said, but you saw they really wanted to go be with the Rebbe. He says, I'm sitting by the Fabrengen. And he says, I'm sitting by the Fabrengen. All of a sudden, one guy gets up and he says, Chevra, that means guys, we're going to the Rebbe. Everybody looks at him, you're crazy. We're in a cellar, even just going to, you're not just getting on a ticket and flying to New York, it just doesn't happen, you know? And he says, no, 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 no. He takes the cheers, lines them up like on a train. He says, that's it, guys. Everybody, get inside and imaginary. They're going to the river, they're going to New York. I'm looking at them, that these guys, maybe they have a little too much mashka to drink before. Mm-hmm. They're off their rockers. Yeah. They're not living in reality. They're living, and all the Hasidim that were there jumped onto the chairs. They sat down, and they're all going. And he says, let me tell you something. This is 1990. Every single one of those guys who sat down on that train got out within a year or two. All us realistic people, what happened? we only waited until 1990 to get out. We only got out when the Iron Curtain fell. They got out in their heads. No, they got out physically. They got out. Because they, and this is what he's saying, because they were so driven and the momentum was so there, they found a way to get out. They went, they pressed the government that was whatever was willing to take. People came out. But it was drips and drabs. And every so often they let out 10, 20 to be able to, you know, show appeasement to America and say we're not a communist, we're nice to people. I don't know if you remember, but they even sent their chief rabbi to America to say, look, we have freedom of religion and everything else. 
So there were times that they let people out. But if you would apply to get out, then they would send you to Siberia. <laughs> so that was the catch-22. But over here, these people, he says, and he's saying this on the portal, he's saying, he says, this is what faith does to you. What faith gives you doesn't just, it's not just a, a phobia. It's not just a cloud. It's a reality. It's a reality that if you're willing to live that reality, it's going to happen. And this is what Jacob was telling his parents. And his children, I'm sorry. Jacob was telling his children. It could be that the date for the coming of Moshiach may be later on. But if you're willing to live that reality, if you're willing to live that time of Moshiach life, well, come before it's time. you got to bring it. You can make it happen. And this is exactly what Jacob wanted. He was trying to bring his children to that level that they should be able to desire the bringing of Moshiach and they should be able to bring it way before it's time that it should already happen. So it all sounds good, right? Yeah. But why did God then not let him tell his children? If the whole reason why he was going to tell them the time was to inspire them that they should bring about Moshiach, what's wrong if they know about it? Because this is the difference. Why are we in exile? Why are we in this exile to begin with? If God wanted to schlep us out, he could have schlepped us out 2,000 years ago. It's here because he wants every single one of us on our own to develop a consciousness and an appreciation to change the world. Not because we're forced to, not because we're imposed to, not because somebody told you there's a great ice cream, there's a brownie bar waiting for you on the other side. We're not here in this world to be able to collect brownie points. That's not our purpose. If we were shown the glory of heaven, nobody would do anything wrong. But what does God show us? Like Rabbi Yitzchak once told God, he says, God, he was always like the defense attorney for the Jewish people. He says, what's the big deal? You put spirituality in the books and materialism in front of our eyes. Put materialism in the books and spirituality in front of our eyes and see how we behave then. Right? The problem, that's not what God wants. Because what is Moshiach? Moshiach, by definition, is going back after the sin of the, of the tree of knowledge that the world was brought to a state of impurity. God could have put us back in the Garden of Eden, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted that we, the human being, with our freedom of choice, that makes the choices to make right choices. But if I'm just shown what it's going to be in the future, then I'm not making a real choice. It's not freedom of choice. And therefore, Jacob couldn't tell it to his children. And therefore, Jacob was not the one to be able to tell his children what was happening about the coming of Mashiach. Because it was up to them. He wanted it to be done with their own energy, with their own impetus, with their own enthusiasm. And that's what God wanted. And that's what Mashiach is all about. Mashiach is not the holy and the might shining down on the simple and the few to be able to change the world, but it's the simple, it's us, the ordinary people that change the world, that create extraordinary things. And this is what, if you look about throughout history, if you look about throughout any episode of history, who are the people that actually made a difference? It wasn't the great scientists that all of a sudden came up, it was somebody in their basement who figured out the tinkering and automatically brought a change and a revolution to what was going on. It's in both ways. In both world wars, what happened was two idiots fighting with each other. That's how World War I happened, right? He killed his son-in-law, he didn't know what happened until the message got, and now it's time to World War. It doesn't take brain masters to be able to do things. God depends on us, the simple people, us, the individuals. And therefore, he says, God took away, God took away the, the divine presence from, from uh, God took away the divine presence from a Jacob so that he should be able 
to allow his children the process to work through it and achieve it and with their own freedom of choice, so to speak, bring about that coming of Moshiach. And it's for that reason that in our prayers, a third of our prayers are all about asking for the coming of Moshiach. Why ask? Let's just sit back and say, when God wants, he'll bring it. Why are we asking? Because that's exactly what God wants. God wants us to ask for it, beg for it, change the world because of it. And when we do our part, then already, God will do his part and bring about Moshiach. Yes? Um.